The title of this talk is The Rhythm of Letting Go, and the subtitle is What Hillary Said. During my college years, I had a dear friend. Her name was Hillary. Uh, we were good friends through college uh, and in the years after. At some point early on in our friendship, after she had gotten to know me a little bit, probably got to know me pretty well, actually, uh, she made a comment, uh, she made an observation about me. Uh, uh, she was a quite insightful person. Uh, she made a comment that was really quite telling. What Hillary said was, you're never going to be a happy person. You're never going to be a happy person. Now, Hillary was like very wise and very kind. Uh, she wouldn't say anything to hurt me. She wouldn't say anything to hurt me. She wasn't trying, if anything, just the opposite. Uh, she was a very dear person to me. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give somebody a subtitle on one of my Dharma talks if they weren't dear to me. At least not a Dharma talk on a retreat. You know, maybe, maybe just like a weekly Dharma talk. But to get a subtitle on a Dharma talk, you have to be somebody like really dear to me. What she said, you're never going to be a happy person, uh, was an insight that she had about me. Uh, and I, I think she really said it in a way that was quite compassionate. Uh, it wasn't a criticism. Uh, and I certainly didn't take it as a criticism. Uh, it seemed quite right, quite accurate. I believed it, that it was true. Uh, and I actually took a delight in what she said. I took a delight in what she said. I liked that idea that I would never be a happy person. I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was a story that I took satisfaction in, uh, an identity that I took satisfaction in. Now, really, I had kind of a sense of that identity before that, you know, even though I was probably maybe 19, 20 when she said that to me. I think it was. Uh, a story about myself that I was beginning, or maybe I was in the early chapters of writing it, uh, but it was a story about myself that I had already begun to write. And I think what she said was clarifying. She was clarifying. She really helped me to uh, connect to the theme for the rest of the, uh, the novel, <laughs> if you will. I continued, and I would say I continue to hold on to that story about myself to believe that story about myself. And I've certainly, uh, I adopted that story and held on to it throughout my life and, and, and delighted in the story, and in many ways delighted in the story and, and in that I, way of identifying that, that form of self-identity. Uh, I took a certain, a certain delight in it. You know, it's kind of a perverse delight, right? You know, the Buddha said, uh, you know, our stories are so painful. And of course, that's such a painful story, right? Such a painful story. The Buddha said, our stories are so painful, yet we delight in them. You know, he was quite, quite uh, 
uh, he marveled at that. Our stories are so painful and yet we delight in them. And for most of my life, I've chosen to play the role of the unhappy person. I've identified as an unhappy person, what uh, Ajahn Amaro once I once heard call a solid sufferer, real solid sufferer. <laughs> During those college years, uh, uh, I wrote a short story, which was quite a good short story, autobiographical short story. It was called The Persecuted. I, I, uh, I uh, believed in and adopted and held to that story of myself as a dark, brooding, unhappy, you know, sort of existentialist figure, you know, bearing my cross, bearing my cross, you know, something of a martyr, perhaps. It was a story that throughout my life I've held on to, and many of my actions were in alignment with that narrative in my life. Uh, I lived the narrative. For me, it was a key identity, a key identity. You know, the Buddha said, when we form identity, that's sort of the culmination of our suffering. People think, well, we start our suffering in our identity, but it's really the culmination of our suffering. Our suffering begins with having certain emotions, feelings, thoughts. We cling to them, and out of that, we create a story. So I had a lot of thoughts as, as a young person. Uh, I had a lot of feelings of, uh, you know, uh, 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 of being hurt and being in pain and being in despair and being unhappy, feelings of unhappiness. And I took a lot of actions that were driven uh, by those feelings and created this story and an identity, an unhappy person. We create these identities out of our different emotions that we feel, that we hold on to, and the thoughts that we hold on to. The Buddha said all beings subsist on food. You know, the food is what we, the, the different mental qualities that we cling to and hold on to. For me, it was despair and depression and aversion and cynicism and dissatisfaction and disappointment and I could go on for quite a while. So, some 30 odd years ago now, uh, you know, I uh, began to start to make an effort to change my life, uh, you know, largely because I had been, uh, as in playing that role, I was taking many uh, destructive, self-destructive actions and was, and was terribly unhappy. Uh, so uh, coming to a uh, 12-step program and getting sober over 30 years ago uh, was really, a, you know, for me, it was the beginning of a process of changing the narrative, beginning of a process of being less unhappy, moving towards happiness. Interestingly, of course, that's what the Buddha said. It starts with parami, right? You know, I was... Uh, you know, as you know, as a you know, as an alcoholic and a drug addict, I was, you know, uh, uh, struggling with that precept and other precepts that came. Actually, I was struggling with most of those the precepts. And certainly, coming to Dharma practice and beginning to practice the Dharma some thirty odd years ago began 
was part of the beginning of the process of changing the narrative, or at least becoming, being less unhappy. Uh, but I've continued to hold on to the story. You know, I've continued to hold on to the story. Uh, I'll never be a happy person. You know, what Hillary said. I haven't let go of the story. I'm an unhappy person. So I mentioned a few times that I was uh, on self-retreat in December. And uh, at some point during the retreat, and I kind of alluded to this as well, kind of uh, a little bit past the midpoint in the retreat, right, you know, in, in the middle part, you know, what I sometimes refer to as the difficult middle part. You know, you can identify with that. The difficult middle part of the retreat, kind of the adolescent years, you know. I always think of like, you know, second day, you know, when you really get those hindrances, that's the terrible twos, you know, the second day of the retreat. You know? And then there's the difficult middle part, you know. And I was really grappling with my unhappiness, caught in that story, the usual, you know, the usual to sit bare, uh, the various forms of perpetual dissatisfaction and discontent, you know, on the different scales, discontent, dissatisfaction with the meditation, dissatisfaction with the day, dissatisfaction with my life, with the retreat, with my life, you know, just, it's the same dissatisfaction, just on different scales. You know, the same discordant tone. I was out of tune, out of tune. thinking about this uh, term my mother used to use. I've been talking a lot about being out of tune. My mother would say, you know, your nose is out of joint. Anybody ever hear that? Your nose, that's probably an old, your nose is out of joint. She'd tell me, you know, she'd, in kind of a compassionate way, funny way. My father had a different way of putting it. He'd say, you're a miserable son of a bitch. <laughs> so I was out of tune and trying to get in tune, trying to find my rhythm, struggling, stumbling, falling down, trying to get up, having a hard time, getting frustrated, struggling as ever. You know, it's like, it's the same struggle, right? It's the same struggle, the familiar struggle. You know, our struggles here that you had here, it's probably not the first time you had those struggles. They're probably quite familiar struggles, right? as we're living out our painful narratives on the retreat, in broad daylight, you know, in the glare of concentration. And there was a point, you know, and, and, you know, and this is as we, you know, we start to come out of the difficult middle part, perhaps, into some light. And there was a point on that retreat uh, where there was a little bit of space and a little bit of light, and I remembered what Hillary said. And I reflected, you know, when we reflect, it's, uh, you know, I had a, th a thought, but it was really, it was a thought that, uh, you know, was kind of coming right out of the heart and a feeling of, that came from seeing my suffering and the way that I was struggling and how it was the way I've been struggling all my life, you know, so it was a thought that, uh, you know, was imbued with to some extent, compassion. And I had a thought, I reflected, if you will. 
you've been holding on to this story all your life. You know, I thought about what Hillary said, you're always going to be an unhappy person. And I thought, you know, you've been holding on to that story all your life. All your life. And I think I knew that, but I really knew it in that moment. I really knew it in that moment. I saw really clearly, you've been holding on to this story all your life. You haven't let go of it. You know, and then the thought came up and the reflection, maybe it's time to let go. Maybe it's time to let go of this story. Maybe it's time. Maybe you've been holding on to this long enough. Maybe you've been holding on to it long enough. Maybe you've suffered long enough. And the Buddha said when we recognize, truly recognize and understand in the body and in the heart how much we've suffered, truly understand how much we've suffered in this lifetime, we let go. We let go. So I reflected, I thought, Maybe it's time to let go of this story. And I thought, what would it be like to let go? I considered, began to consider that possibility. What would it be like to let go of this story? So that was my story, it is my story, uh, one of my stories. We all have our stories, right? You have your stories. My story is a little bit different than your story. Everybody has a different story, right? Based on the food you've been subsisting on. Because we've all been subsisting on different food. We all have karma, different karma. We all have our stories. That's a story I've been holding on to. What stories are you holding on to? What stories are you holding on to? Sometimes on retreat, we begin to see these things a little bit more clearly. What stories are you holding on to that you might want to think about letting go of? So that's a reflection you could make. You might not need to so proactively make it. You may have noticed that during this time, or you may not. You know, it's a reflection that you could make. Uh, What am I holding on to? What am I holding on to? And when we reflect, we just kind of like drop the question. We let the question be there. You know, uh, we try to, what we call, live in the question. Let the question be in the body. Let it resonate. Uh, But not to think about it. Not to dwell in thinking about it. as we seek to come into tune, into rhythm, to the heart, we begin to see what we're doing that's making us out of tune. What we're doing that's making us out of tune and what we're holding on to. Sometimes we see that more clearly on a retreat because we're making such an effort to come into tune. And we see how out of tune we are. And we begin to ask, what am I holding on to? What are the stories that I'm holding on to? On retreat, we may be more sensitive, like I was on that retreat. You know, when you get out there into the world, as I say sometimes facetiously, you get home and it's like, you know, the stories I'm holding on to that have been causing me profound suffering all my life, I don't really have time to think about that right now because, you know, I've got the ball game next week and I've got this and I've got, you know, 
It's like, so uh, we don't want to force the issue in terms of thinking about these things, but sometimes there's an opportunity on retreat to see these things more clearly, to see more clearly in the light of concentration. So what are you holding on to? The Buddha said there's four ways that we hold on, four primary ways of hold on, hold, we, that we hold on. They're templates for understanding. One, of course, is we hold on to our self-identities, our stories. And we have various self-identities that we hold on to, right? Some more painful than others, all painful for the most part. I mean, we try to replace them with some skillful self-identities. I'm a meditator, I'm a Dharma student. Of course, we can turn that into pain too. But we all have our stories that are painful. This is it's very important for us uh, if we want to find freedom from our suffering to begin to see clearly what our stories are. So in retreat, in the silence, as I've been saying in this talk, in the light of concentration, uh, we may see things more clearly or things come up Things come up in the silence that get pushed down and we don't see uh, in, because we're distracted by life. Uh, we're distracted or we can't see or things don't come up because of all the thought that's there. Uh, things come up in the concentration. Uh, that's good. I mean, I've noticed on this, on this retreat, it was, hasn't been hard to notice, I've had some really strong dreams. That's one way that things some, sometimes come up. Dharma talk is kind of just a little nudging, a little nudging perhaps, or a little, you know, food for thought. You know, these things, and particularly with our stories, you know, we've been living them and playing them out so long that, you know, we, we and, and we just think, well, we believe in them, so we just think that's who we are. They're so ingrained, so we don't see them so clearly. We may have some idea of them, but we don't see them so clearly. You know, I always say it's like, you know, the wallpaper in my grandmother's kitchen. You know, it's been on, it's been on those walls. God rest, God rest her soul. She's been gone, but, you know, all those years in her kitchen and she had that wallpaper, you know, it's like you wouldn't even notice it after a while, right? You just, you don't really notice it. You know, the retreat's like, you're just standing there really studying the wallpaper, you know? <laughs> Kind of, that kind of sometimes happens, like after a retreat, you go home, you know, and, and you look at the kitchen floor and you go, I didn't realize it was blue. I've been living here 20 years. I thought it was gray. It's actually blue. I can't believe it. Yeah. Well, you go home and it's like, the refrigerator, it makes such a loud noise. There's got to be something that's making that same noise for 15 years. You just haven't really noticed it. You know, in the light of concentration, seeing clearly. Yeah, equanimity, pure awareness, right? Pure awareness, we see things more clearly. So we may see these stories. Or sometimes you see them after the retreat, a week later or a month later. Sometimes that happens too. If you try to, too hard to see it, of course you won't see it because you'll create a dissonance. So 
So on the retreat, you may be mindful of the kinds of stories that I became mindful of, that story. You'll always be an unhappy person on my retreat back in December. Or other kinds of stories about yourself or your life or the world. And the Buddha very succinctly described what our stories are like. You know, uh, we have stories about ourselves. I was like this in the past. I'm like this now. I'm going to be like this in the future. Those are basically our stories. We have stories about our life. My life was like this in the past. It's like this now. It's going to be like this in the future. It all fits in. He was a genius in just being so concise. It's, it's like you could fit all your stories into those categories, right? And then there's the world. The world was like that this in the past. The world's like this now. The world's going to be like this in the future. The second category of, uh, of the ways that we hold on, what we we're holding on to, are habits and practices. Uh, I like the way Ajahn Amaro talks about it as social conventions. You know, so it might be like golf. You know, at a certain point in my practice, it was like, you know, you need to let go of golf. You know, you're spending way too much time playing golf. You know, you, you know, and it's really, you know, hindering your ability to practice the Dharma and do the things that you need to do in life to find a greater happiness. You know, for others of you, it might be different. It might be bowling, you know. It might be your, you know, your membership in the Order of the Royal Moose. You know, what was that Ralph Cramden? What was his name? <laughs> It might be a political group. It might be a relationship that you're holding on to that maybe you might want to consider letting go of. Or it might be a vocation or an avocation. And then there's the third category, our views and opinions that we're holding on to. Maybe it's political views that we're holding on to or opinions of other people. One that we... You know, we see a lot in the Buddhist world is opinions about the other Buddhist traditions, like the ones that we're not practicing in, or opinions about different teachers or whatever. And these are all things that we learn to consider, perhaps letting go of, the ways that we hold on to our views and opinions. And then lastly, the various pleasures of the world, the sense pleasures, if it's television or the smartphone, all the things that I've been talking about. So what are we holding on to? What are we holding on to? Now, there's a lot of things in our lives that, you know, it's kind of like, it's just like stuff that's in the closet, you know, that's like, you know, it's like, maybe it's time to get rid of it. You know, maybe it's just time to get rid of all this stuff that's in the closet. You know, it's like that old coat I have in the closet. I haven't worn it in 20 years. You know, maybe it's time to get rid of it. I can't. I can't get rid of that coat. There's no way I, got, I, might, re, I might wear it someday, right? Well, you get rid of it. You see that you can. That's kind of how it is in letting go of these stories of ours. A little bit harder. Yeah. Not so easy to let go of our stories, but it's something that we can do. In meditation, we learn the rhythm of letting go. We learn how to let go. We really learn that in meditation itself. Uh, you know, we sit down to meditate, or we come to a retreat, and we let go of those, some of those pleasures of the world, right? 
even if it's just in your daily practice, I'm going to let go of the, the phone for this next 45 minutes out of love for myself. So we learn to let go out of love because that's how we let go. That's how we let go, out of love. The heart is what lets go. So we practice, we say, I'm going to put aside my worldly concerns out of love and compassion for myself and be mindful of the breath. Thoughts come up in the meditation. I'm going to let go of these thoughts out of love and compassion for myself. Ultimately, that's how we're able to let go of thoughts and stay on the breath, out of love and compassion for ourselves. This is why it's so important, right? You know, what I've been teaching here, you know, to learn to do what you're doing that's in your best interests out of love, not through sheer effort. I'm going to force those thoughts away or I'm not going to engage in those thoughts. I mean, that'll only get you so far in concentration in terms of letting go of thought, you know, in terms of letting go of mental qualities. You know, we want to really let go of these things that we've been holding on to so dearly and tightly in our lives. You know, the only way that we can do that is, well, we can't do that. It's only the heart that can let go. Just like it's only the heart, it's only love for yourself that's going to enable you to develop concentration the way that you have the capacity to develop concentration in meditation. And it's only the heart that's going to enable you to let go of what you've been holding on to that's so painful and caused you so much suffering in this lifetime and perhaps other lifetimes. We let go of hindrances in meditation. When we begin to develop the breath, we learn to let go of the dis-ease in the breath and cultivate ease. We do that in tune with the heart. The heart guides us to seeing the dis-ease. You know, really, and it's the heart that guides us, just like it guided me when I was on my retreat. That moment of compassion, it guided me to remember what Hillary said and to see clearly that I'd been holding on more clearly than ever. I think I ever saw it to that story that I'd been holding on to since even before I knew Hillary. So we learn to let go of disease and cultivate ease. We learn to uh, find the rhythm in the breath, the rhythm in the body through wisdom. The heart guides us. Concentration depends on wisdom, love. We proactively cultivate an easeful abiding. We cultivate an easeful abiding, but ultimately, you know, it's that wisdom that enables us to have a pleasant abiding. It enables us to uh, uh, with the open heart, uh, connect to our rhythm uh, and the energy uh, and the flow of energy that is inclining us to what's in our best interests and is going to put us in a position to make the most of our lives. This quality of equanimity you know, that we talked about last night you know, accepting what is, you know, letting go of the wanting and not wanting, being contented with what is. This place of where we've let go of thought, you know, where we've let go of 
uh, distraction, unskillful mental qualities, and there's just awareness that converges at the heart. So through our meditation practice, we're putting ourselves in position for a deeper letting go. This is what the Buddha describes when he sets the wheel of the Dharma in motion. You know, develop the path, develop uh, jhana, uh, develop skillful ease and pleasure and equanimity, and then learn to uh, practice in accord with the Four Noble Truths. Which really comes down to letting go of what we're holding on to that's causing us suffering, or letting go of the ways that we're holding on that's causing us suffering. Letting go of our stories. That the heart is what lets go, the heart lets go. We let go out of wisdom, we let go out of love. So letting go of our stories is not easy, but the heart is up to the job. The heart is up to the job. And you've got to call on, you know, if you call on your, your, your deepest and most, uh, your most uh, effective resources, which is the heart, your wisdom, your love, and your compassion, if you want to let go of your stories. So letting go of our stories asks that we're in tune with the heart. We're in tune with the heart. And one of the ways that we learn to be in tune with the heart, uh, so being in tune with the heart is moving away from thinking about things and uh, moving toward the heart. Uh, but we can use thought in the form of asking questions, right, to align ourselves with the heart. So we learn to ask the heart. We learn to ask the heart. What would it be like if I let go of these stories? Or this story? What would it be like if I let go of this story? I'm always going to be an unhappy person. I think of this as this movement in letting go as Really, it's in many ways the first movement in letting go as we begin to consider the possibility of letting go. We consider the possibility of letting go. So as I, as I reflected in the clarity of concentration on my retreat, I began to consider the possibility of letting go of that story. But it's really asking the heart. It's not thinking about it. It's really asking the heart. What would it be like to let go of this story? If you think about it, you know, I mean, the mind's proclivity is to aversion and desire. The mind creates preferences, likes and dislikes. You know, Ajahn Amaro says it's like a Chinese menu. You just fill up column A and column B. You know, you never come to any clarity. It's like taking out the old, you know, the, the old classic, the legal pad. You know, this is sort of, you know, make a line down the middle, pros and cons. <laughs> pros of letting go of my story, cons of letting go of my story. If, this, if the pro line is longer, I'll let go of my stories. Yeah. 
the mind tends to incline to, when we begin to think about letting go, the mind tends to incline to fear and doubt. Only the heart, only the heart can let go, only the wisdom of the heart, only the love in the heart can lead us to letting go. So we ask, what would it be like to let go of this story? Not thinking about it, not dwelling in it, in the thoughts that just creates dissonance and cuts us off from the heart. You know, you're compromising the heart when you think about these things. So we ask the question and we let it drop down into the body and into the heart. We live in the questions. And the heart will answer when the heart is ready to answer. We don't know when or how it's going to answer, you know. Uh, insight, understanding uh, will occur when it will occur, and it's somewhat unpredictable in a complex nonlinear system. Our job is to stay in rhythm, to be in tune with the patterns of wisdom and love. So we meditate. We meditate every day so that we can stay in tune and rhythm, so we can stay in rhythm so that we can understand and be connected to the heart as we begin to consider the possibility of letting go. We have to stay in tune with the heart if you want to let go. This is why I meditate every day. It's like I need to stay in tune with the heart because there's things I want to let go. And I can't do it. I can't do it. We learn to be tuned to the patterns of these complex nonlinear systems by putting input into the system. You know, that's something that we can do. We do that through meditation. So we cultivate ease, pleasure, equanimity. We're connected to our internal rhythm and we're close to the heart. And there's, to whatever extent there is, there's pure awareness, pure bright awareness or some level of awareness so that we can understand, so the heart can understand. Equanimity also enables us to resist the temptation to think about it, right? To think about it, to try to figure it out, to try to answer the question by thinking about it. So what, it would, what would it be like to give up your stories? What would it be like to give up your stories? You know, our innate wisdom understands the suffering in our stories in a way that the mind can't. It understands the suffering in our stories in the way that we need to understand it if we're gonna let go of our stories. Like the Buddha said, if you truly understood the suffering of your stories, you know, you'd let go of them. But it's only the heart that can understand things on that level. The heart understands suffering. The heart understands that we've been suffering for a lifetime in a way that the mind possibly can't possibly understand. The heart understands that the stories can be let go of. The heart understands that that story, you're always going to be an unhappy person, can be let go of. The heart understands that. The heart understands that the story, I will always be unhappy, is a fabrication. The identity 
that I've clung to so tightly for all my life, really. You know, I'm an unhappy person is a fabrication. It's a fabrication. I mean, it's a hell of a fabrication, but it's a fabrication. It's not self. It's anatta. It's not fixed. It's not a fixed truth. It's not a fixed truth. It can be let go of. The heart understands that. The heart understands this completely, that these your stories can be let go of. The mind goes, I don't know. I don't know if I really can let go, you know? And I don't know if I want to. The heart understands that if we let go of our stories, we'll know a greater happiness. We'll know happiness of heart. We'll be free. We'll know peace. The heart knows that. In the heart, there's love, the wish for happiness. It's our greatest strength. Love empowers letting go and transcends fear. So as we consider the possibility, we ask the heart, we develop understanding. We develop understanding. Right view, right view. Happiness comes from letting go. Second noble truth. We develop right view as we begin to consider the possibility. And then we begin to start to move to right resolve. Right resolve. The heart guides us to right resolve. You can let go. If you let go, you'll be happy. The heart understands that. The heart guides us to right resolve. This is our task. This is the thing that we have to do. We have to assert right resolve. This is very important to understand. Very important to understand. You have to set a resolve. Resolve is an act of will. Resolve is an act of will. You know, the heart understands, if I come to this retreat at Powell House, this is gonna be in my best interests. This is gonna help me in my life, and the people in my life. The heart understands that. But you have to resolve to come here. If you don't say, I'm gonna get, go there and get on, online and get your train ticket, and you ain't getting here. You know, that's how you get there. You, know, you have to have that resolve. You want to go to the sitting tomorrow morning, the heart understands this is in your best interest to get up at 6.15 and go to the sitting. But you got to have the resolve to get there. you got to say, I'm going to go. You're just not going to, all of a sudden, this is, I think, what we think, right? All of a sudden, there's going to be a letting go. But there has to be a resolve to let go. This is your job. This is your job. It's very important to know what your job is. It's very important to know what your job is. Your job is to make a resolve. That's really kind of, in many ways, your only job. But resolve is an act of will. You have an intention. Yeah. I'm going to let go of this story. I'm going to let go of this story. You make a resolve. Now that may happen in fits and starts, making that resolve. You know, you know, it just doesn't like, I'm going to let go of this story. You know, it's sort of, you know, it's a, that's a process too. 
It's a process of making a resolve, but it's your job to make that resolve, you know? And it may happen again in fits and starts, but this is your job to resolve to let go. To resolve to let go. And I can, you know, we're probably saying, I don't want, I don't want to resolve to let go. Can, can somebody else do that for me? You know, that's your job. Letting go is the job of the heart. Letting go is the job of the heart. So we resolve to let the heart do its job. We resolve to let the hearts do its job. We see to it that we're in rhythm, that we're in tune with the heart, and the heart will abandon what's not in our best interests out of love for ourselves and out of wisdom. We let the heart do its job. We let the heart do its job. You know, since that retreat in December, as I've begun to consider the possibility of letting go of that story, and I've begun to establish that resolve, uh, there's been shifts, really kind of significant shifts in my life. Some subtle, not some not so subtle. But I'm less aligned with that story in ways that I was never less aligned with it before, and I'm more aligned with the heart. I'll talk a little bit more about this tomorrow. But it's action by action, decision by decision, we, we let go of the story. You know, we let go of the story by the way that we live and the actions that we take and the decisions that we make so that we're not living the story. It's scary. It's scary to let go of our stories. You know, I've, I've depended on that story all my life. It's given me identity. That's been my identity so much. It's scary to let go. Freedom is scary. Freedom is scary. Freedom isn't for everybody. Freedom isn't for everybody. It's more comfortable in a lot of ways to live in our stories, to live in our pain. It's familiar. But if we want happiness in this life, you know, we have to let go of our stories. And it's something that we can do. We can let go. We can be free from our stories. The heart, the wisdom, and the love in our heart enables us to move beyond fear. <clears throat> That's what enables us to move beyond fear. It's only the heart that can let go. So the heart lets go. Our job is to give it a chance to do what it can do. To understand the rhythm of letting go, to consider the possibility of letting go, and to resolve to let go. To resolve to be in tune with the heart and to let the heart guide us to letting go. One more question. I might ask, or we might ask, is what is our commitment to letting go of what we're holding on to? If it's those four categories of our identities, views and practices, social conventions, views and opinions, uh, and sense pleasure. If it's our stories, what's our committee commitment to letting go of what we're holding on to? What's our commitment to letting go of our stories? 
like our, like all these questions, we don't have to answer that. I don't have a commitment, I do. It's something to reflect on. It's something to reflect on. What's your commitment to letting go? I was thinking about this, you know, as I was thinking about this talk, you know, it's sort of like, you know, I mean, Dharma practice is kind of like, you know, I mean, this is very, you know, I mean, this is kind of coarse, but it's either like stress reduction or letting go. What, what, what are you into, you know? It's like if you're not committed to letting go, then it's, it's stress reduction, kind of, you know? I mean, again, that's, I'm being a little cut and dry about that, but... That's something I'm good at. So in the end, we let go because we're in tune with the heart. We let go because we're in tune with the love for us, with love for ourselves. We have love for ourselves. We're in tune with the love for ourselves, compassion for ourselves. Out of love for ourselves, we let go. Out of love for ourselves, we let go. That's the only way you're going to be able to let go, is out of love for yourself. We let go out of our wish to be happy. Beyond our stories, you know, our stories are a prison. Our stories are a prison. And we come to see that. Our stories are a prison. We come to understand that as we begin to consider the possibility of letting go. They confine us to a limited existence. Unhappy person. It's a pretty limited existence. It's my existence, you know, but it's a very limited existence. You know, they prevent us from making the most of our lives, from the happiness that's available to us in this life, in the short time that we have here. You know, beyond our stories and the letting go, there's freedom. There's the possibility of a life in which we know true happiness. So maybe it's time. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to let go of our stories about ourselves, about our life, about the world. Maybe it's time to let go of our pain, what blocks us from the heart. So we can start by considering the possibility, by asking, What would it be like to let go? So let's just close our eyes for a moment.